0: Hello everybody, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This week i got another excellent interview. I brought Glenn Tate back on the show. He is the author of the best-selling book series, 299 Days. What a great survival and prepping book series. He's going to talk a little bit about it, but mostly... I asked him to come back to talk about what does he think is going to happen and how can you see the signs or what signs are you going to see that a partial collapse is coming. You see, that's, I think, very important in your threat assessment. So I brought him back on to talk about that kind of stuff and let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. Well, Glenn Tate... Best-selling author of the book series, 299 Days, back on the show. Welcome back, Glenn.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Bob.
0: No problem. Anytime. I love it. This is great. Uh, you, know, you, you always have a lot of good things to say. So I wanted to bring you back on. And it's been a while. It's been several months since you were on here. What do you think? Wh- where, are we, where are we headed in this country or even worldwide? What do you, what do you think people should be getting ready for?
1: Uh, an economic collapse, um, in a nutshell, an economic collapse. Um, I don't think that there's going to be a gigantic, horrific, apocalyptic zombie kind of uh, collapse. And of course, it's possible. Oh, sure darn! many things that could happen. I mean, an EMP could happen, and I put that in the in the cataclysmic category. Um, but my theory is that the more dramatic something is, the less likely it is to occur, and so. I think an EMP is very dramatic and therefore less likely to occur. Um, I see right about in the book um, a partial collapse, and by that I mean an an economic freefall, um, uh, the dollar becoming devaluated and not worthless but but much devalued, Um, political instability, um, all sorts of people out there, tens of millions actually, um, who are dependent on government in one way or another, Um, are either not getting their benefits or they're getting their benefits paid to them in dollars that are pretty much worthless and they're pretty upset about it and they're desperate and they're hungry and their kids are hungry and human beings do really bad things uh, under those circumstances. And so I I, I see the utilities staying on um, pretty much. There are outages. The electricity goes on and off and, and the Internet, you know, is not reliable and can't really use it. To communicate because the government folks are censoring it. In, in you know, in my view of what's coming. So um, maybe maybe that's present tense. You know, but, um, <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
1: uh, um, and so that's the kind of thing I foresee, and, and it varies by region. That's that's one of the things that's really different about 299 days. I, I give I think a good insight into how it varies by region, um, not just geographic region in the U.S., but also the split between urban. And rural, Um, I see. um, Let's start with geographic. Um, I see the East Coast and big cities as being a place not to be. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Um, And um, you know, I wouldn't want to be in Chicago. In the book I write, the book takes place in Washington State, my home state. I talk about Seattle and how things are going there, Um, and it's it's not real well. Um, And then the suburbs are kind of included in the urban areas, Um, and the government, in my view, in most places, holds on to those areas. functions, and uh, I don't see, you know, a gigantic kind of, you know, fascist, thug sort of regime thing. Um, I see a government doing the best it can to kind of hold on to power, but they they make alliances with gangs um, just to kind of keep the peace, and there's a lot of corruption, and, you know, a lot of government people are, you know, splitting profits with gangs, but it's not that, that apocalyptic thing I was talking about. It's that, that in-between gray area where it's like Detroit. Uh, it's the Detroitification of America. And just think about Detroit and picture that in your mind. and That's what I see most cities um, being like after all this happened.
0: Well, I like how you put that. I like how you put that. The Detroitification... Of America. You know, no offense to any of my listeners from Detroit, because if you're listening from Detroit, you're probably not responsible for it, for what's going on in your city. It was once a great city. And, you know, I was there not too long ago. I was there in March. And uh, uh, one of of our corporate offices that I work for is based in the suburbs of Detroit. And when I was in the cab going from the airport to our meeting place, you know, we drove by downtown Detroit and it's just a stinking war zone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean they film zombie movies there. I mean they use real live Detroit as a set for a post-apocalyptic horror scene. I mean, what does that
0: tell you? <laughs> so you see something like well, that, that tells me a lot. So you see something like that coming?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think that the, the full-on Detroit scenario is probably the worst case, and I could see places like Chicago and New York, and of course Detroit, um, being like that. But I could I see a lot more surprisingly functional things going on. Um I don't know that schools necessarily would be closed down. I mean I could see to an extent professional sports teams still playing. Um I mean you know things that you think of as normal everyday life um, kind of going on. My model for all of this, because I didn't just come up with this in a in a in a back my model for this um is the breakdown of Russia in the early nineties, really throughout the nineties, and the breakdown of Argentina uh, in 2000, and to an extent a little bit later, but um, and I and I've paid a lot of attention to the descriptions of Russians and Argentinians who described uh, what life was like and and how they got along and how they were sort of surprised that in some weird way life goes on and people will really cling to normalcy. They'll want things to be normal. They'll want their sports teams to play because that. Tells them everything's okay. Like back in the good old days, back in 2013, back in the good old days when things you know weren't so bleak. And so people and human beings all over the world do this, and they've done it throughout history. They try really, really hard to um, create create some normalcy. I remember uh, hearing about during the siege of Stalingrad in World War II, which is uh, pardon me, the siege of uh, Leningrad. Uh, there were both sieges, but the Leningrad is the example. The the Leningrad opera in ballet would continue to play when the city was, it was horrible. There was cannibalism. It was just the worst possible conditions on earth.
0: That's a good point. And
1: people still wanted that. So, and I talked about that in the book, and there are all these examples of, of weird, uh, unpredictable, normal uh, situations going on. So I, I see some of, some of that, and I, I just see crime as just completely out of control. Um, I think that in, in the cities in particular, quite honestly, a lot of the law enforcement that's left, if most of them leave and take care of their families and melt away, most of the law enforcement that's left are, are not real nice guys. I'm going to be honest. Now that's not a rip on law enforcement. Um, it's, it's how I see it going. Again, the majority of them melt away. And then the, uh, the authorities have to recruit shady characters, not full on, you know, gangsters with neck tattoos necessarily, but just shady characters to become sort of the, uh, uh, the posse or something like that. It's a lot of corruption and bad, in badness with that. So I, yeah, I see that. Now in the, in the rural areas, that of course can vary. Um, some rural areas could be hit pretty hard. Um, but I think that in general, the rural areas do amazingly well. Um, especially in the medium to long term. Um, I talk about in the book, Forks Washington, which is very remote. Uh, and, uh, and it does, remarkably well. I mean, people there are used to hunting and fishing. Of course, there's not going to be as much game to fish around, because everybody's going to be trying it. So if you, <laughs> if you think you're just going to go get yourself a deer every couple of weeks or something, you're uh, sadly mistaken. But um, they, they do remarkably well. And the other reason the rural areas, I think, for what I foresee, um, I think the rural areas do a lot better. They're smaller communities, and you've got a couple hundred people. Uh, that's the example at Pierce Point in, in my cabin area, where I, much of the book uh, occurs when you have a smaller group of people, they can work together better. They know each other. That doesn't mean everything is smooth and harmonious as you've read.
0: It, no, but so. it's, easier to, it's easier to manage a smaller group, though.
1: It is, and it's easier for people to, to get along and to truly uh, be dependent on each other in a good way. I mean, to be interconnected and to, to trade things and to help each other. There's a lot of charity uh, in what I foresee coming. Um, and of course, it won't be everywhere and you can't count on it, but Um, A lot of people will do a lot of good things. A lot of people will do a lot of bad things. Um, And so I think the rural areas will be okay. The other reason the rural areas will be much better off uh, is, (laughs) by and large, people in rural areas are gun people. Let's be be candid. I mean, it's a huge advantage. When you have 90-plus percent of the population in a city that's absolutely terrified of the sight of a firearm, let alone actually using one, um, they're going to be corralled like sheep, and um, they might be slaughtered like sheep. I certainly hope that doesn't happen, but they are, those city people that don't understand guns and are afraid of them um, are at a significant disadvantage. But, boy, when, when people are armed, uh, it's, a, it's a big check on anybody trying to, uh, to do some bad stuff. They're going to have to fight a whole bunch of people. I'll tell you something, even folks in rural areas who, who don't train tactically and all that, and maybe they haven't been hunting for a while. They're still pretty decent gunfighters for the most part. I mean, they're not—they're not you know the kind of things we think of. They're not SWAT team kind of guys and all that. But I'll tell you something: there's there's a residual toughness left in America that I think uh, is particularly out there in the rural areas. And so I think that's why the rural areas do much better. Now some some don't. It, it really varies by by region and, and circumstance. I mean, maybe one rural area has a a water system that breaks and they can't get any parts and they're in a world of hurt. So it's not universally good out there, but that's what I, that's what I foresee. And, uh, I don't know. You know, people always ask me when it's coming. I don't know because I, I tell people I don't have the memo, right. That lays out exactly (laughs) what's going to happen. Right. If I did, I'd let you know, but, uh, I, I don't, and I don't think anybody has, it. I think anyone that predicts timeline is, is just setting themselves up for failure. I don't listen to people that give me time predictions. I mean, if there was some evidence, I would consider it, but I don't know of any evidence. And Maybe there is. I just, you know, don't get a few the memo. So those are some thoughts. I think, though, relatively soon, um, I have in the past, I don't know, even a few weeks, um, uh, my antenna have just been up, and there have been all these, it would take too long to describe them all, but these little anecdotal kind of coincidental things. There's, so much coming together at least at least in my life and maybe not in others so maybe this is just me but uh, all kinds of amazing things are happening that are that are pointing towards being amazingly well prepared in its relationships with people i mean that's, right it, it, that's the other thing community can't believe i i talked about what i foresee without mentioning the word community all those lone wolves out there that think they're going to do this by themselves um in the springtime, you know, the, the bears will be gnawing on your bodies out there in the wilderness because you're not making it. Um, we have to have community. Uh, human beings are built that way. You know, if you cut your hands, you're going to need some medical attention. You might need somebody who has some antibiotics or something like that, and you need to get along with other people. You know, this stereotype about, quote, survivalists who are antisocial people who are waiting for the world to end so they can go Be off by themselves, I guess maybe there are some people like that, but most people aren't like that and um, the community and you really see it in books 3 and 4 how the community forms up and comes together and how valuable a community is and there's a lot of tips in there about how to for lack of a better term, manage uh, a community and get everybody pulling in roughly the same direction um, and diffuse political squabbles and even have a justice system for goodness sakes you know, that's an important thing so, I I think community is a is a really important part uh, in what's coming. So I don't know when. Uh, I'm certain it is. I just I I could go on for hours and tell you why I think it's a certainty. But uh, most people listening to this podcast are concerned about it and are reasonably certain it's happening. So I guess I don't need to convince them of that.
0: Well, you might need to do a little convincing even still because. Here's why, you know. I find that people that are listening to this podcast, they'll be talking to other people that might be a little bit skeptical about prepping, and this might be a show, this might be an interview that they could call up their buddy who is on the fence and say, "Listen to these two guys talk, and call me back and let me know what you think."
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, here's yeah. Okay, here's some here's some thoughts for the uh, for the person on the fence who's listening to this first of all, prepping is not crazy unless you do it crazy. And what I mean by that is if you don't go into debt and you don't break laws, and by the way, I mean, prepping you can easily do on on any budget um, and you can, you can do it rationally. You don't have to alienate people around you um, and you certainly don't have to break any laws. So this is not a radical thing. This is not joining a cult or something like that or selling everything you own. It's not extreme at all. That's that's a number one point. The other point is um, FEMA, of all things. You know, the government um, says you should have at least three days, and then other parts of their website say three weeks. So I don't know which it is. Um, but <laughs> you should you should be prepared for natural disasters. Goodness, so we have hurricanes um, in my part of the country. We have we have earthquakes, and so why wouldn't you take a teen fraction? Uh, let's say you start off prepping in a in a moderate way, and you take a teen fraction of the money you make, and you put stuff aside um, to possibly save your life, or at least make your life more comfortable. Now, if you have a family, you you have a, a big obligation to them, and uh, it's not just all about you, and you need to think about your family. And I'm going to be very brutal and candid here. If, yeah, if go you're ahead. A parent, if you're a parent, and you could have spent uh, one hundredth of one percent of your salary and got a little bit of food that stores well, and then something happens, and I'll explain why I think something bad's going to happen in a moment. Something bad happens, and your kids are hungry, and, and you're looking at them thinking, wow, I bought, you know, I don't know, uh, chicken wings at uh, Buffalo Wings or whatever, or carton of smokes or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. Instead of, let me put it this way, a carton of cigarettes is, let's see, that's about 150 pounds of pinto beans. Which could feed a whole lot of people for a whole long time. It's not super tasty after a while. I you that, but (laughs) I mean, we're talking about you'll stay alive, though. Amazing amount of life sustainment for a very small amount of money. And and here's what I do, and here's the way I illustrate this: when I um, uh, take some food and vacuum seal it and put it in some of the tubs that I have, um, I always put the receipts from the food in there because they got the date on and the amount. And I think it's going to be sort of interesting. I don't mean to gloat or anything, but when this stuff hits, and I'm pulling out 20, 25 pounds of red beans that are $16, and I pull out that receipt and I say, huh, $16, boy, that was a good investment. Yeah, so no kidding. Think about that. Um, and so, so that's one thing. And, and forget all the stereotypes. Don't let television tell or your friends or whatever tell you what you're supposed to do to take care of your family. I mean, you know, why would you, why would you listen to them? And the other thing is don't worry about it because they don't have to know. I mean, it's not like if you go and you buy 25 pounds of red beans at uh, Costco, let's say, or Sam's club or whatever it might be in your area. And you get a vacuum sealer and you vacuum seal it and you put it in a tub and, and it's there for a rainy day. It's not like the world is going to know. I mean, don't tell them. Um, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's your deal. And, you know, you're, you're taking care of yourself and your family, and uh, if anybody's got a problem with it, it's their problem. I will add this. The social acceptance of prepping is going up exponentially every week. Yeah, it sure so, is. I'll tell you. Yeah, you know, discussions that you didn't dare have even a year ago, now, I mean, are, are open fair. Um, my friend, the soccer mom, right, she went and found uh, out about the books through a lot funny story, I didn't even tell her about it, but it's a long story, it doesn't matter, and started reading the books She said, oh my goodness, you know, this could really happen, and she's got four kids. And, and now she's a full-on prepper, I mean, she doesn't advertise it, but she carries concealed, for example, um, now, and she doesn't apologize about that, and she's really changed. She's, she's very confident, and she's got a attitude like, well, I'm doing my thing, and if someone's got a problem with it, you know, grow up, it's your problem, you're not taking care of your kids, and she's not, you know, offensive or standoffish by any means, but she, she's not worried about stigmas, because this stigma is increasingly going away, because people out there are seeing things. They're seeing the headlines. There's this general feeling out there. I mean, look at the uh, the increase in the number of people listening to your podcast. There is
0: an awareness,
1: a growing awareness out there that something's not right, and I can go through numbers about that and, and uh, you know, people on food stamps. I mean, forget all the statistics. I mean, you can look them up yourself. Um, why do you think whoever knows how many millions, tens of millions, I don't know, of people um, are flocking to this? I mean, what, what was it that turned my very well-educated, very well-grounded soccer mom friend into a prepper? Was it fear? No. Uh, it's rational behavior, and she's much happier now for doing it. So those are some reasons go ahead and prep and do as little as you want or as much as you want. There's no, there's no forced thing. I mean, there's no definition that you have to do X, Y, and Z. Do whatever, whatever you feel comfortable doing, and um, you'll, be, you'll be glad you did. I've never, ever had a conversation with anybody, and I've never had this thought where I said, oh, gee, I, I, I got some extra food in case something bad happened. Boy, that was a mistake. You know, I mean, some of my food was
0: a couple years old, and I needed to rotate it and um, gave it to a food bank. I mean, yeah. there's a downside. Well, there what's is the no downside. There's none no, there's no downside and you know Glenn, you know what I think is starting to wake people up? I think it's what? I think it's pain. I think people are starting to feel some pain. Maybe some pain they didn't feel quite as bad 8 or 9 years ago, you know, but now they're feeling some pain. They either don't have a job or they have a job paying less or working less hours. Their savings accounts are dwindling there's they're seeing some headlines that they don't like you know or they or they or they lost a loved one and the the primary income earner and they don't know what what to do i think that there's some people feeling some serious serious pain and it's it's happening slowly it's like frogs being boiled but it's happening very slowly but all of a sudden now the pain is great enough to where they're going wait a minute something is not right they're going to the grocery store and they look at that receipt after they swipe their debit card for the groceries, and they go, oh, my God, something is going on here that I don't like. I think that's what's going on, don't you?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It has to hit people um, in, in a practical, everyday sense and, and in a way that they experience it. You know, you can you can talk about the Federalist Papers all you want, and you can talk about George Washington, and that and just bounces off of people, and, and it doesn't soak in. Um but, yeah, they're, they're understanding that their their salaries are either diminishing or they're certainly not going up, um, and there's a very good chance they might lose their job. By the way, a lot of people are having their kids that they thought were going to move out continue to live with them. That's a big deal.
0: <laughs> that's some more pain. More pain.
1: That's <laughs> right. <laughs> more pain. I mean, they're fun when they're little, but, you know, when they're 26, that's a different story. But, um, so, yeah, I saw a thing, by the way, a headline that one in four... Um, uh, one in four kids, uh, and I think it's like up to 30 or something in New Jersey, uh, now live with their parents. I mean, it's, it's off the charts. It's never been that high. It's probably higher than so that way. in
0: California, I bet.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, with, you know, high rents and all that other stuff, high cost of living. The other thing is people look into the future and they know that it's, it's not getting better. I mean, they're told by the mainstream media that we're in a recovery, which is absolutely laughable. I could, I could go through yeah. the, calculation of the gross domestic product figures and how they're kind of made up. And I don't mean that in some conspiracy way, uh, you know, Ooh, the government's you. I mean, they're just, they're made up to keep people's confidence. I mean, the stock market, people say, well, the stock market is roughly at an all time high. Really? Well, let's look at the 30 companies that are in the Dow industrial. They're not the 30 companies that used to be in there. They're hand um to, to make sure that, you know, they, they, they perform well and they're getting tons of federal reserve money and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I won't go into all the details because it's one of these things that, you know, it's either 20 seconds or or two hours to, you know, go through. But still, um, people are seeing that things aren't getting better. Um, How about this? Uh, 101 million people in the country receive nutritional aid of some kind from the federal government. That can be kind of mild, like qualifying for school lunches, or it can mean something, you know, as intensive as as, uh, food stamps. Well, 101 million people out of about 310 million. Well, that's that's about a third. That's kind of problematic. Well, here's what's really problematic. That 101 million, there there are less than 101 million private sector employees like you and me. Um, oh, so there okay. There are more people getting nutritional assistance from the government than there are people paying into the tax system. Now, how long is that going to last? People can see that we're on this downward glide and that it's not getting better, it's getting worse, and that's the pain they're feeling, and they're seeing it.
0: And they have some common sense because they're analyzing their lives now in 2013, and they're comparing it to what it was eight or nine years ago in 2004, 2005, and they're saying, wait a minute here. You know, we've only eight years have gone by, but we're so much more worse off. Yeah.
1: And there's no end in sight, and and you know we're always told these there are little recessions and there always have been little recessions and then there's uh, recovery and everything and it's and it's just not happening and so people are are questioning it and I just think that people on some level I don't understand it I'm sure there are psychologists that could explain this or something um, people can feel things I'm not that um, capable of I'm not some clairvoyant person or anything but. People can feel things in groups um, without talking to each other, can sometimes come to conclusions, even though they didn't talk about things, just based on little things they see, little cues they see. I mean, a big cue, as you're talking about, is people actually feeling pain. And then I think what happens is people start to talk about this. People, like my soccer mom friend, maybe talk to her neighbors, and all of a sudden the neighbors say, Wow, I thought I was crazy, but there's nothing crazy about having a little greenhouse, having some fresh tomatoes. That's not crazy. Um, no. So yeah, people, are, it's getting out there. Um, the all the you know the media things, um, not media in the sense of uh, newspapers or whatever, but all the all the YouTube channels, all the ways you can measure viewership. Um, some reality shows that I'm not fond of, by the way, but um, all those sorts of things. There's obviously an appetite out there for this kind of thing. And when the market reacts like that, you know that there's something to it. Um, if It's not as if there are tons of new reality TV shows and YouTube channels and podcasts about watch all of a sudden. <laughs> if that happened, I'd say, wow, well, America is really, really into birdwatching. Well, America's not into birdwatching. Uh, and they are <laughs> into, um, you know, these things... That,
0: that they're feeling, and um, so you mean wow, you mean, mean, mean the hey Glenn that? Glenn, you mean the whale watching podcast that I started a couple of weeks ago is not going to be very <laughs> successful, is it?
1: Yeah, number of listeners, zero. And you're thinking, <laughs> wow, I, mean, I, don't, I wouldn't even listen
0: to my own podcast if it were about that. Yeah, But, <laughs> but you know, the, hey, that's a good point, though. You bring up a really good point. Look at what's being popular. You know, your book is popular, podcasts popular. How about TV shows? How about Prepping and Survival on TV? Those po- shows are becoming extremely popular, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's funny you mention that. Tomorrow, I'm going to uh, premiere of a friend of mine's reality TV show. There's another sense I never thought I'd say. Kind of like I was beating Tom Clancy the other week on Amazon. Another sense I never thought I'd say, but anyway, that's true sense. But my friends um, have a reality TV show called Doomsday Garage, and they are they're here in Washington State, and they trick out bug out vehicles and. CMT is picked it up. Um, there's going to be a pilot to see if they're going to run it as a full reality show, and it's going to be you know on uh, August 20th, and which probably after when most people hear this. But um, now there's an example of there must be a market for this because a production company bet its own money um, to make this pilot, and CMT is gambling, and they may pick it up. And so you know when you have a, a spate of new TV shows about a particular topic. That has to be an indicator of something, and I think it certainly
0: is. Well, Doomsday Garage, if you missed it, uh, you can probably find it uh, just by searching the internet, but that's Jeff and Zach. They're your friends, and they were on, I've interviewed them, uh, bugouttruck.com. I've had them on this show.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. No, and they're, and they're terrific guys, and, uh, you know, got a hold of them, and we met, and we're in the same part of the state, and they're... They're super good guys, Um, you know, did a little work on my truck, to be honest, so, I mean, I trust them with my baby, so... uh. And you got (laughs) to check
0: out their website, bugouttruck.com, it's a a cool, cool website. Yeah. Well, so, you know, that's the stuff that's becoming more popular, and if you look at that, it's like, you know, you have to, a person looks at that and says, wow, there must be something to this, and... So you think you think, as you say in your book, it's a partial collapse, probably a not super violent partial collapse, but then again, I like what you said when we first started this episode. When things get desperate, p- desperate people will do desperate things. Yeah. And I've said that before too. Desperate people will do desperate things.
1: Yep. You know, here's a here's a, a fact and figure, but it's it really is telling something. Um there are 3,500 Walmarts in the United States. So think of a Walmart in your local area. Maybe there are a couple of them. There are a couple of my area. But picture in your mind your local Walmart. Um, the number of people on food stamps divided by the number of Walmarts means there's approximately 14,000 Americans on food stamps for every single Walmart that's out there. Now, wow. think of your Walmart. Think of your Walmart. Uh, and I just saw my website and it's real numbers, and it's not made up. Um, Think of that Walmart and think of 14,000 people at that Walmart want to get some food and their SNAP cards, which is the food stamp, you know, delivery device, the card, isn't working because the government doesn't have any money. Or let's say the $200 they have on that SNAP card, get them, you know, a cup of coffee now because of inflation or something like that. <laughs> what do you think 14,000 hungry, desperate people who feel entitled in many cases, um, to this food, what do you think they're going to do? How how many seconds do you think that Walmart you know lasts? Now think of the number of police uh, in your in your town, uh, and the number of even you know you add some state police and everything like that. So and the number of firefighters, do you do you think that they can hold back fourteen thousand people? And of course, fourteen thousand people don't all come at once. But I mean, it's it, it's an indicator of how much dependence there is per local area. Um, there's absolutely no way the police could could even attempt to contain the number of people that would be thinking. Well, I, I always go to Walmart and get free food. I mean, I use a Snap Card or whatever, but
0: I'm going to get some free food. <laughs> well, yeah, Glenn. You know, let me let me t- let me extend what you just said farther. Okay. What if you happen to be inside that Walmart when even a hundred of those people come in there and want their free food and start getting pissed off because they don't have their free food? What are you going to do? What if you happen to be in there and it turns violent because the free food is not there, the the snap card or whatever is not working? Then what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, and you got you got a hundred angry people. Here's a here's a thing: if you would have prepared and started buying a little bit of food now, you wouldn't have to be in Walmart when all this is falling apart. You could be safely at home or somewhere else, and you wouldn't have to be around these crowds of hungry, angry people. So do your shopping now
0: <laughs> in advance. We, well, I have to. I have to admit. Sometimes I run to Walmart to pick up a, a filter for my uh, air conditioning system because I forgot to get one. So you know, maybe someone's there buying a an oil filter or an air filter or something, uh, and they didn't stock up on that, and all of a sudden the angry people come in.
1: Yeah, it's another reason to uh, conceal carry. Um, but,
0: oh yeah, that's right. I knew we were going that way. <laughs>
1: You know, it's but exactly right, I mean, and, and this this will be going on all over the place. Um, people will be attempting to go to their ATM machines. Look at Cyprus when uh, they froze all the bank accounts. Um, you know, the money, and even if there wasn't some giant evil government conspiracy to take money or something, I'm not implying that there is. Uh, in a book, I talk about that topic, and I think there is there would the government would attempt to take these funds because that's what they do in every crisis like this. It's Happening in Russia and Argentina and everywhere else. But um, think about just even if there isn't a giant conspiracy, just everybody going to the bank machine at once. Um, there's an extremely limited amount of cash in those, in those uh, ATM machines. And so you've got that problem. Gas stations, everybody, what happens, every single, you know, uh, Hurricane Sandy or I guess Superstorm Sandy, it wasn't a hurricane, whatever, Um Gas is the first to go. Um, it's kind of tricky sometimes to store gasoline, I grant you that, but for safety purposes and, and sort of deterioration, you know, you need to put a in it. But, um, um, you know, you should have some gas. I mean, I'm looking at my gas tank now. Um, it's, it's very rare that it's below half a tank. Um, and so, you know, keep your car gassed up. That's an easy thing to do um, because gasoline is going to go really, really quickly. And have a bicycle, for goodness sakes, Um you know, most people have bikes. If you have kids, maybe, you know, you have a bike or something like that, you ride bikes with them. Well, keep the tires pumped up and have a tire pump around and, and think about all these things because it all goes so quickly. You know, I think it'll take a day or two for most people, the general population, to figure out that something is, is really going wrong. So there's, there's a built-in time period, I think, that we all have once we know things are, are you know, about to crash we can go and, and maybe get some of this stuff and do some of these things. Don't leave it to the last minute if you can avoid it. But I think, in all honesty, there's a window. But I'll tell you something. When when the majority of the population all of a sudden comes to this conclusion that this stuff really is falling apart, and it's really true, those rumors I heard about Walmart not having any food, is it's really true. I mean, I've been sitting on the couch for two days watching Dancing with the Stars, so I haven't actually got up <laughs> and seen it myself, right? But... Dude, I, I need some more Doritos uh, because it's a Dancing with the Stars marathon um, on TV, and it's going to be 24 hours of that, so I, I'm going to go get some Doritos. What do you mean there's no Doritos? I mean, it, it hits people, um, often with groups. It's just it's weird psychology, but it happens you know, with groups, and then all of a sudden, everything is mean and nasty. Everything is mean and nasty. Yep. People are terrified. The, the reason I think this thing is going to be so much worse in America than it has been elsewhere. and It's been bad elsewhere. Is that Americans are so absurdly dependent on just-in-time inventory of food, on gasoline, on the internet working for goodness sakes, on electricity, all and on law and order, the police, you know, being able to to do what they need to do, uh, on fire departments being able to put out fires, on the on the hospital system, the ambulance system, and having all these amazing, wonderful. Drugs and procedures that we have that just sort of materialize at the hospital, and and you know the technicians to run them are able to get to work, and because they have gasoline and it's safe to go to work, and all these things we take for granted. We are the most, by far, the most dependent people ever in history. I, I, uh, I used to have a saltwater fish tank. I love aquariums, by the way, and um, no, we're not talking about whale watching. Don't worry, but uh, <laughs> a salt a saltwater aquarium is a very unique thing. Um, You are inside your house. You are recreating the conditions of the ocean, the salinity, the temperature, the trace minerals, the the nitrogen, the oxygen, all these things. And so you can have some exotic, delicate creature like a sea anemone or something actually living in your house instead of living, you know, in Hawaii in a reef somewhere, right? Well, you're creating this artificial world that is incredibly fragile. Um, on, a, on a hot day when the sun would come in my window at a particular angle at a particular time of the year and it would warm up the water a couple degrees, um, that sea anemone might die. Just because it's that fragile, because it's in such a fragile setting, uh, artificially... Luxurious setting. It's it's luxurious to have a little bit of the ocean inside your house. That is that is a luxury. I mean, we don't normally have these things. So that's what I view American society as: is that saltwater fish tank. And the power goes out, and the filter isn't turning, and um, in about twelve hours, that that tank got pretty gunky, and uh, fish started dying. So that's what I see happening. I certainly hope I'm wrong. Now. That's not to say it's all apocalyptic and bad and everybody dies in 12 hours. I'm not implying that. But, I mean, it's, it shows you how the unraveling would occur, and it would it would take a while, a few hours, days, whatever. And then I think, boom, when neighbors are walking around to each other's houses saying, hey, this is serious. We've got to do something. By that time, you need to be out of that situation, or if you're bugging in, you need to have all your stuff so you're not that guy going to get that air filter and there's, you know, a bunch of people with pitchforks and torches at, at Walmart, you know, stripped the place
0: there. <laughs> I'm picturing that in my mind right now. <laughs> well, you know, Glenn, as we close up, I want you to take a few minutes, and this is a question I've been dying to ask you since um, our last talk. You, you talk a little bit about it in your book, but what are, you, what are some of the signs that people will recognize when the government is trying to cover up a collapse.
1: Boy, what a what a great question. Um, I think that there. I, I approach it this way. Um, I think there will be things you will see out there. Um, the value of the U.S. dollar. Um, there are dollar indexes, and this is not some you know technical Wall Street thing that you can't find. Um, I think it would be well reported. I mean, there's a, a measure of U.S. the value of U.S. currency versus other world currencies. And when you see that going down, and by the way, it doesn't collapse overnight. Um, these things, especially Russia and Argentina, I keep going back to these examples because they are relatively developed countries that had, you know, this very thing happen that i Yeah. Sure. happening. Yeah, um, and it, it might take a couple weeks, and you might, you know, keep hearing things on the radio or something, or maybe, you know, you, the Drudge Report, I think, is a good source of news and, and headlines. You might see uh, value of the dollar drop. Five percent today. Value of the dollar dropped four percent today and six percent the next day. I mean, those sorts of. It doesn't seem like a big deal, like it, in any given day. Um,
0: but I think you start you start to see that. I think that um, boy signs that uh, that they're that they're covering it up. Yeah, I mean, you talked about yeah. you talked about a few. You, you wrote about a few things that the government, that the local government in, in Washington did to start covering up or making it seem like it's not quite so bad.
1: Yeah, um, I think that when you start to see um, emergency um, powers, and this is not some big conspiracy thing and, uh, you know, nothing like that, but, I mean, all of a sudden, um, well, I'll tell you, I mean, if vacations get canceled for the police force, (laughs)
0: um,
1: right, that's a big deal. Yeah. You you know something's coming, right? When a hurricane's coming, you know, firefighters and and police officers, you know, they they call them in. um, uh, that's a big deal. I think, um, to the extent we would know about it, um, National Guard units being activated, because um, it takes a long time to activate Guard units and, and
0: get them going. Yes, it does. Years. That's right.
1: Um, you know, you got to fuel up trucks, and you got to get people together and process the paperwork, and there's a bunch of things to do. So when you start seeing things like that, I think that um, if um, – I would see – I think hospitals uh, would be something that they would start to say um, to the key personnel. Uh, you, you know, don't go home. Just like stay here. We're, we're going to get some cots, and you guys can crash here. You know, they're going to they're going to want key medical personnel and other key personnel, um, probably at utilities too. This would be true to to not get stuck um, outside of their jobs and to be able to protect. You know, I see hospitals as being sort of defended areas. I don't think it'll work, but they'll attempt to do it. So when you start seeing things like that, um, I don't know that the news will tell you these things. In fact, I think the government would do everything it could to you know make it sound like no big deal. Um, and so those, those would be some things to, to look for, I think.
0: Okay, good. Good stuff. I mean, I kind of put you on the spot with that question, but... You know, I, I think a lot of people who might not be really into prepping as much as you and I and some of those who are listening to this, if they do get persuaded by a friend to listen to this particular episode, I wanted you to talk about what signs that people are going to notice when, when something bad is about to happen.
1: Yeah, I would think, uh, I thought of this too, and um, price spikes and, and things becoming unavailable, gas, gasoline just being unavailable, that, to me, is a huge, huge indicator. I wish I would have thought of that earlier, but yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a big deal. Yeah,
0: Scar- gasoline. Scarcity but- of gasoline, that's right.
1: Yeah, sudden scarcity um, would be something to really pay attention to.
0: Sudden scarcity of some of the most basic items that we need. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming back. Uh, take a couple minutes to talk about your book.
1: Well, okay, sure. Uh, it's uh, 299 days. It's a 10-book series. Books 1 through 6 are out now. Book 7 will be coming out sometime in the fall, whenever I can get to all the edits that I need to do. I'm actually, I have to be honest, I'm having a super good summer right now. I mean, July and August are pretty much the only two decent months in western Washington where it's not cloudy and rainy, so <laughs> uh, we kind of lose our minds a little bit out here during the sunshine, and... Uh, we're kind of far up north, too, so it stays light pretty long. Um, so I've been having a great summer. So, yes, uh, my bad. But I've been working on this book for a couple years now, pretty much nonstop. So um, I'm having a good summer. And, by the way, I'm doing a lot of prepping because, I mean, I'm feeling this uh, relatively soon. So I'm going to, you know, do my own or follow my own advice and do some prepping. So anyway, um, but what the book's about, uh, it's about me, um, a a suburban slug who wakes up and figures out some stuff is is going wrong and that he needs to be a man and take care of his family. What I just said probably offended a lot of people, and I really don't care. Um, I'm a man. I'm taking care of my family, and that's how it is. If that's politically incorrect, I honestly don't care. Um, I'm going to take care of my family, and when I'm doing that, um, uh, I'll just... I'll be happy, they'll be happy, and and it's a good thing to do. Um, A lot of resistance from his wife, which was true in real life. She's since come around quite a bit, and I appreciate her for that. Um, And so uh, I got some guys um, uh, that shoot together, the Real Live team. They're real guys, by the way. Um, Wish you could meet them. Maybe we'll come down to Texas and see you sometime. It'd be fun. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah yeah they uh they they get together and it's all rational people, no military and law enforcement people, and no big conspiracy theories, nothing kooky um and there's a big event um I work in the political arena uh, or I observe the political arena i guess is a better way of putting it and so i I see things and I've got to know things about how government works, no big conspiracies, just how government works and and there's a lot of that um that when I describe why I think the country's going to collapse. Um, I can give sort of, without giving facts and figures, I tell stories about things I've seen or friends of mine have seen and participated in and observed, and I can relay those. Um, the The team um, and and the main character go out to their cabin, um, uh, and I'm trying not to give away a bunch of plot stuff. There's a big thing in there. You know what I'm not yes, talking about. Yes, I know what you're not talking uh, about. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then uh, form up the community and uh the rural community where my cabin is. And uh, it's a great lesson, books three and four. You don't even know it's a lesson. You're just following along this pretty interesting story about how to get a small community up and running and and taking care of each other and smoothing out some of the problems that are there, but um, doing it the right way. And then uh, there's a, a military unit. There are some good guys who are guerrillas um, who start – Training and forming up um, out there—nothing over the top, and it's not really militaristic, if you will. It's not—it's um, not a military thing. There's a military component to this story, is probably the best way of putting it. And then yeah. there are all these there are all these characters, all these people that start off maybe not being preppers, but then they realize they need to be, or people who keep fighting against the idea that things have collapsed and. And you see that the character development, if you don 't mind me saying is is pretty amazing because it 's based on real people, almost everybody in this book is a real person, and I describe them exactly you know as I see them, and I then project out into the future and say, "Well, this is probably how they would react to this, and so you get a lot of of that kind of thing um, and so then there's good guys and bad guys, and there 's a big fight, and stuff gets fixed
0: well that's good uh, good description there. Uh, it's 299 days, and, and folks, if you want to get it, go over to my website. And on my website, I've got a couple pages there. I've got one that says Recommended Books, and Glenn's is uh, one of the first ones listed. And I have another one that says Amazon Store, and you can just go in there and do some general shopping as well. Glenn, thanks a lot for coming back on. My pleasure. Love to be on your show. Thanks. Keep prepping on, okay? Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate your time. Once again, don't forget, these guests donate their time. Time is not a renewable asset. We only have a small amount of it. So show Glenn some appreciation if you haven't picked up his book. You can get it in hard copy, or you can also get it electronically. As mentioned in the interview, you can go to my website, todayssurvival.com. I have a recommended book section, or I have just a general Amazon store section. You will support my show, buying through it, and you'll also support Glenn Tate. And Above all, you're going to learn a lot of really cool stuff. They're easy reads. It's really nice. He's done a great job of writing and holding your interest, and I'm, I'm very impressed with it. And By the way, Glenn also... Contributed an interview for my Survival Champions Club. It's a custom interview you can purchase and also support my show. He talked about how to build that prepper team. In the interview, he mentioned it having a good community and a good team. And part two on how to build that team is available to those of you who are so inclined to support my show and purchase a copy of the Survival Champions Club. Or you can get every one that I've produced, and you can see there's seven of them on there. And you can get a package deal on it. So check it out at todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in that web address. Please join the forum. If you join the forum, do me a favor. Send me an email. Tell me what username that you used when you signed up. I have to approve every applicant, and that's how I keep spammers out. I'll get your forum registration approved in... 24 hours or less usually a lot less than that but please send me an email to bob at today's com and tell me you signed up and give me your username we'd love to have you on the forum you can also find a link to the forum at today's com. thanks folks appreciate you hanging in there with me another week and i'm bob main i'm your host this is today's survival show it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are thank you